I'm so glad we can say that today. How many knows it personally? Just not something you read about in a testimony somewhere or just something that you read about in the Bible, but you know, he's been so faithful to you. Doesn't always mean that he keeps us from hard times or difficult times, but he's faithful to help us through it. It must have been overwhelming for Paul whenever he would go through those times in his life with his eyes and he would have to write with big old letters, big old size letters to even be able to comprehend what he was putting down and be able to make it legible. And then he would get better. And then he would hit him again. And he would get better. He sought the Lord three times. No doubt he asked him many times, but it must have been three outstanding times that stuck out to him. And he said, Lord, you know, would you please help me? Here I am praying for the sick, and I believe your word. I believe you suffered stripes for me. But instead of the Lord saying, guess what, Paul? Today's the last day. Never bother you again. He said, my grace is sufficient for that. So Paul said, then I will rejoice in my infirmities. But don't you know as a human, it still must have bothered him as he was dealing with it. He would watch God do all kinds of supernatural things, and yet the Lord wouldn't touch him. I'm reminded of Brother Branham going through different things in his own body, yet he would pray for people, and some of the times he was worse, worse off than they were. I've seen Brother Darrell and other ministers that I was aware of preached with Brother Ron Spencer and different brothers and knew personally that they were sicker than many of the people they were praying for. And yet God would heal them and the vessel that he was flowing his energy through to them, God wouldn't touch them. It's amazing. You mean you still serve him? You better believe I'll still serve him. He knows what he's doing. I don't. And you don't. But we just have to trust him, don't we? Aren't you glad we can today? Know that he's faithful and and true. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer. I'm sure that many of you have needs and requests and desires on your heart today. I'd also like to uh, share one with you uh, about Erica. I'm sure that many of you noticed that Erica's not been um, able to attend as much as she had been. And she's been having some problems, some pain, and some discomfort. She had a scan in August, and uh, they said there was no change, nothing, nothing different. Uh, had one a few weeks ago, and they found some lesions on the liver. Uh, and the way the doctor explained it was like um, whenever the liver was healed, that it was tearing a piece of paper and then putting them back together, and you still see it there. Um, So, we know how demons like to do. They like to hide. Demons can hide from MRI, CT scans, but they can't hide from the Holy Ghost. So, we took her to Nashville a couple weeks ago, Sarah Cannon Hospital there, and uh, the doctor there wanted um, to do a liquid biopsy, whatever that is, um, so that's in the process of being done. And also, Eric will have a tissue biopsy, which will be this Thursday, of her liver again. So, we want you to pray with us. 
And we don't want you to just pray. We want you to believe. But Brother Donnie, wait a minute, what happens? What does that change? Absolutely nothing. Because faith does not look at circumstances. It does not look at symptoms. It only looks at one thing, and that's God's Word. Amen. Amen. Her profession is, and ours is as well, by His stripes, she is already healed. Just like you here today. All the requests that Brother Louis read, my, it was just overwhelming, wasn't it? Just so many needs. But we know that our God is so much greater than all these needs brought together. Let me have something in your heart today. Together as a body, let's just go before him. Heavenly Father, it's so wonderful to be a part of something that is so glorious that is your church. All of us really, all of our lives, we've wanted to be a part of something. We desire, Lord Jesus, when we were kids, many of us to be a part of this and a part of that. And we had to wear a certain type of clothes or do certain things in order to be accepted. And many of us, no doubt, were rejected because we couldn't dress fine enough or our parents were not wealthy or whatever more, so we were thrown out of this and that and the other. But we're so grateful that you've made a way that we can be accepted in the greatest society that has ever been. That's the society of Jesus Christ. To be a part of the church of the living God. No matter what our color is, no matter what our background is, no matter, Lord, how much money we make a year, has nothing to do with it. But washed in the blood, sanctified by the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. And when we pray, we have more authority than an angel in heaven. Lord God, we bring these needs before you. We're just asking you, Father, that you would intervene. We love you so much. We thank you, dear God, for being mindful of us. And helping us in the time of stress and trouble. As we endeavor to look into your word today, Father, I pray that you would speak to us, anoint us, help me, Lord, that I can get out of the way, just to be a surrendered, submitted vessel, that your words can flow through me. Anoint the people, I pray, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, saints. Let's turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. Lord, you see this prayer cross I have on my hands too, Father, that you meet this need. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. <clears throat> and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Now, you know that right now, the Lord Jesus is not the head over the United States. He is not the head over Germany, France, Spain, Portugal, Zimbabwe, all the rest of the nations of the world. That is Satan's position, which he stole. But you notice the way that Paul addresses this, and he does not say that he's the head over all the governments and all the way this and that and the other works, but he's the head over all things to the church. Shortly, he will be over all the nations. But right now, he's over the church. 
And this is what the church is, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I know it's an astounding statement, but the prophet tells us that God is not complete without you. God is not complete without you. And he says there's only one form of eternal life, and you don't remember it, but it was you. Only one form of eternal life. You say, how could that be? I was never old, but it's that part of you that was in him, the eternal. Notice in chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. May the Lord bless his words. You may be seated. So we can see from this phenomenal reading of the scriptures, God has something in his mind that is so much greater than all of us. And yet, it consists of us. It's greater than any movement that has ever been on the earth made by man. Man has been able to get together with a lot of groups and societies and different things that he brings classes of people together. And to belong to some of them, you have to be a certain class, a financial class. And you have to be of a certain category, have to make so much money. For some of them, they would bar you out of their particular society if you were black or if you were brown or in some of them if you were white. But yet God has one that supersedes all that man has ever been able to do in that it crosses every racial barrier. It crosses every financial barrier. It crosses every class and category of people on the face of the earth. And we know that, to me, one of the things that makes this message so outstanding is that it reaches people of so many classes around the world that under no, under, under no circumstance of man would they ever be able to be gathered together. Now, by the grace of God, I've been privileged to stand in many of the foreign countries and the nations around the world and speak to the bride of all different colors and nationalities and cultural backgrounds. And when you look at them and you see that there's been one thing that has brought them together, and it would span across so many cultures. It would span across so many ethnic tribes and ethnicity among the people. And what would it be other than the supernatural hand of God that would draw such a people together? Then what would be the common denominator among them all? Well, it couldn't be money. It could not be color. It could not be culture. It could not be even tribes of the earth that would bring us together. So it would be have to be something that we couldn't be able to educate one another into, that we would be able to talk one another into, but it would have to be something that he himself designed. 
and it was called a church. Now, I know the word church is very much abused, and I, I realize it will be to the very end, but I refuse because the world abuses the word church to stop using this word. Because Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He never stuttered. He never felt embarrassed by using it. So I refuse to let the world and its abuse of the word church intimidate us and feel like that we have to have another term, another commonality among us. Well, we can't call ourselves church because they call themselves church. That has nothing to do with it. They are only impersonating what we are by originality. So the Bible uses the word church and the Bible sets it forth in a very precious way that the Lord Jesus would identify. Now, even though the New Testament was able to encapsulate the program of God and be able to set it forth on an individual basis, but yet it was not just set up individually. That's one thing about the type of message that we have that makes it very unique. And in some ways, it's different than what they had in the apostolic era, but yet there's other things about it that is very common. No doubt there were people in the early church age that did not have a local assembly that they could attend to, but they were part of the mystical body and they would have maybe people that would come and visit with them and share with them the things that God was doing. And there was no doubt those that were sick and there was the aged and those that could not attend church because of, of, of physical things or maybe financially they were not able to get there. But there was still a focus of what they call the church. Now, I realize because we're so globally tied together as a group with people that you and I have never even seen around the world before, never shook their hand, don't know them by name, but yet the message has went to a state in this day that it was never accomplished in the days of Paul. Now think that our prophet was born uh, whenever he was born in this generation, and yet before he ever reached really his prime, his tapes was already going around the world. Now that was not so, of course, in the days of Paul, but it would have been years and years after Paul had left the scene before many of the believers of that age had ever even heard about him. And for some of our younger people here today, it's that way with you when it comes to the prophet's message. Yet because of the rapidity of how the last days would move, that God allowed the resources of science to be able to tap in to the urgency of the hour. Now we know enough about the program of God to know if God so wanted it to be so, he could have allowed scientists to be able to come up with magnetic tape. And they could have invented a tape recorder, a tape player. They may not have called it Wallensack, but they may have called it Bozinski, or they may have called it some Jewish name. But yet, God wanted it to be in this day. Aren't you glad? Amen. 
But they still had one common thing among them that we don't want to lose because we're living in this era. And that is that we are a part of a body, not only a mystical one, but also a local one. Now, because of the message being global, and because many people of not having a church to go to, and because of streaming and YouTube and so on and so on, I'm afraid that many people get the idea in their mind that it's not really necessary to attend church anymore. That all you need to do is stream. But yet, as good as streaming is, and I'm grateful for it, I've had to do it many times myself whenever I was sick and unable to be in church, but I'll tell you one thing. Streaming is not a replacement for gathering together in the house of God. Thank God for those that don't have means and access and they're streaming us right now in different parts of the world. But yet God never intended for it to be a replacement of gathering together in his house. And we know then that part of it is the, actually the selfish makeup in humans that has been given to us after the fall of man. It may be hard for us to contemplate it, but in the beginning in man's original state, man could not be jealous. Man could not be selfish. Man, Adam before the fall never had an outburst of anger. Adam never felt temper. Adam never had a rage. He never felt selfish. He never looked at himself, even though he was the only man on the earth and could honestly say, I'm the only one. But he never had it within his nature to make him look at himself as that way. But I want you to notice, even though he was the only one, he didn't want to be. Now watch him, he knew he was the only one, knew no doubt that there was not another human being on the face of the earth, but he longed for fellowship. Now as we looked at David here Wednesday night that whenever God had used this little boy, but yet David did not want to be the only one to share in the glory of what God was doing. But you see, when Adam was there in the Garden of Eden, and he had this image of God in him, it would not allow him to be selfish. It would not allow him to be self-centered. But whenever he fell, then it brought in something after that man fallen that the image of God had left, and now it becomes more of a self-centered being. Notice the prophet says it this way, in the unity of the one God and the one church, then in this life, man began to achieve things. But when he did, he began to leave God out of the picture. He began to have selfish motives. And when he did that, he began to think of something for himself. And he found that it wasn't too long until it corrupted the very planet, notice this, that God had put him on. And he got it in such a condition of leaving his creator, grieved him at his heart that he ever made a man. Oh, how terrible it must have been. And you can imagine how God felt when he seen the very creature he'd made in his image and he gave him dominion and how that he made him to do something for him, yet he turned all of his strengths and his power over to selfish desires and achievements. 
Now what's amazing is a lot of folks think when they become saved and they are Christians that all selfishness departs from them. Oh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news today, but that's not so. You see, it's one thing when we are sinners and we will use our gifts, our abilities, and it will focus mainly on us. But it's another thing when we are Christians. It's another thing when we are children of God. And even when people are gifted, whether they're gifted to sing, preach, prophesy, be a musician or whatever, that then they begin to take those godly gifts imparted to them by the Spirit of God and go to using them in a selfish way. Now, to find what God intends for us to be, it's a wonderful thing, is it not? But then to keep it to where that it's always about the body and not about us. That it's never about us appearing great or us being some phenomenal whatever. But it's about the body being benefited by our gift. Now we thank God by his mercy, we are, are blessed by the Lord to have great gifted people in our assembly. When it comes to singers and musicians and preachers and deacons and trustees and, and brothers that can do all this stuff on the video and the audio and the internet and on and on and on and on we could go. And then you move beyond our church and then you look at our message and around the world. I've been privileged to hear some of the greatest men speak that live on the face of the earth and singers and musicians and so on. Wouldn't it be awesome today if every gifted man would be so focused on the body of Christ. And it would be that he would acknowledge whatever God gave him to be, that it was not for him, it was not for him to be lifted up in pride, but it was for the benefit of the body. Wouldn't it be awesome if every singer had that attitude? Wouldn't it be awesome if every musician had that attitude and they didn't have this selfish motive, this, you know, ulterior saying all the time that they want to be lifted just a little bit higher than their brethren or they need a little bit more, you know, attention than others. But if each of us would be able by the new birth. Now, would you listen now that what God saw Adam would do God saw the man in Genesis 1 was the man which was in this pristine estate. It was the man that God had made in his holy image. The man of Genesis 1 was that man. The man that had the image of God could not fall, could not ever get away from the presence of God. But then God put the man of Genesis 1 into the man of Genesis 2. So the man of Genesis 2 was the man that the Lord God made dust and took dust and put it together and, and made the human body. So God put the man of Genesis 1 inside the man of Genesis 2. But we know God is not complete or perfect in twos. So what do we find? We find another man, which was a prophetic man, and that man shows up in Genesis 3. Now he's identified as a serpent bruiser. So the man in Genesis 1 fell when he was put in the man in Genesis 2. But the man in Genesis 3 will come to restore the man of Genesis 1 in the glorified body of Genesis 2. Amen. 
Now, when the Lord Jesus comes, he comes to bring us back to that estate to where we return to being the man again of Genesis 1, still living in a beast body of Genesis 2. I hope you understand it. Now, the reconciliation by the power of God was to bring us back. Now, not that he would buy the new birth whenever we'd be born again and receive a new image of God and our soul would be changed. And then all of a sudden, somehow our bodies would, bam, just like the new birth into the soul, the bodies would be brought into this great glorified state. No, for many of our brothers and sisters, we know they have gone by the way of the grave and they await the resurrection. But yet the image to be restored is the man of Genesis 1 getting inside the man of Genesis 2 and the work of reconciliation is the man of Genesis 3 which is Christ the promised word bringing the soul or those of the generation of the second Adam back into this beast body and bringing this beast body subject to the will of God. Oh, how my, it'd been absolutely wonderful, of course, and we got the Holy Ghost if we would have got our new body then, but that was not the plan. The plan was that we would be reconciled to God through what? This great act of reconciliation in Christ Jesus, the Son. And that work of God through the power of redemption, it would leave us on the earth for years. Some, after receiving him, would serve God for decades of their life, and it would be that image of God inside this beast body. And if you'll be honest with me today, you'll have to admit it's the truth. Your body is no more a Christian now than it was when you got saved 70 years ago. It's just as much a beast. It's just as much an animal. And for some of you, you're just as hard-headed as you was before you ever got saved. Some of you's just as stubborn as a mule. Well, are you going to preach with me or look at me? Some of you still fight temper. Some of you still fight lust. Some of you still fight getting in caught in a bind and you still fight lying. Some of you still fight dishonesty. Well, I see right now I'm gonna have to preach an amen myself this morning. Now, does that mean God has not done a work in you? Absolutely. It means that God has done a work in you, but the work he has done in you did not eradicate this animal body that you are still held a captive in. Is that right? Now, would you notice that the man in Genesis 3.11, and he said, who told thee that thou wast naked as thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Notice in verse 12, and the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now before the fall with the image of God in the man, he was willing to give up his godship he was willing to give up his position on the earth as a God on the earth in order to save his wife because Adam knew what she had done, but she was deceived and still didn't know what she had done. And Adam knew with this image of God in him that he must take her to himself or God would kill her. 
So he was out of the garden doing whatever he was doing and he comes back in and Eve is acting different, talking different and immediately Adam recognized what's taking place and he knows by the Spirit of God that the serpent has beguiled her and the seed of the serpent is sown in her and there was only one way that her life would be spared and that was that the seed of the Son of God Hallelujah. The seed of the Son of God must be sown in Eve or God will slay her. Now it was in the evening time that they went to church and it must have getting close to the evening time and Adam began to look. Of course he didn't have a clock, he didn't have a watch but the sun, he began to saw it, saw it set as if coming down and my how beautiful it must have been in the Garden of Eden. And there he stands and he makes this ultimate decision. The first son of God in paradise. The first son of God in a garden surrounded by what are you talking that he was in and he must make a decision do I go with my wife or do I stay here by myself do I remain here I know what God will do God told us not to partake of this and now she has done it God gave me the warning Thou shalt not eat of every tree, but just every tree except the one in the midst of the garden. Now I realize the justice of God. It won't be long. He'll be coming through this garden. And there he stands weighing it out. Here is his Godship, the ability to speak to the wind, to speak to trees and they would be transplanted. Not one leaf would wither on them. The power to name animals, the power to do whatever was his dominion that God had given him on the earth. And then he looks over at her and maybe he had a flashback of what it was like those years or however long it was that he was in the garden by himself and he would go down to the branch maybe where the crystal water was coming down to get him a drink of that water and as he would bend over and he would look in the water and he would see his own image there and he would reach down to touch it because there was something in him that longed for one of his own kind and he would see the giraffe and the elephant and all the animals and all the creation that God had made and it was every male and his female, every male and his female, but there was not an helpmeet found for Adam. And then he maybe reached over into his side and there he still felt where the scar tissue was if there was such a thing, feeling in his side and knowing that he had one less rib. The flashback of what he was and while he died by himself and he saw, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I can't go back to that life. I cannot go back to that the way it was. Oh, I loved my time with him. It was wonderful when he would come down, the awesome presence. But if I have to go back to that, there's no way I can do it. So quickly he takes her to himself and sows his seed in her. It was not that she was spared because she was a beautiful woman, and she was. It was not that when God came down that she was spared because her home was beautiful. It was. But God spared her because her husband was willing to forfeit everything that he had 
and plant his seed inside of her. You wanna know why God ain't wiped us out a long time ago? He sowed his predestinated seed inside of us. He cannot deny himself. He looks at our humanity and this beast form and all how we must really get after him. You know what I'm saying? How that we get on his nerves, as we'd say, that's our human term. And how we must try his patience, as we would say. But yet, why does not God kill us? Why did God not kill Sarah that day whenever she called God a liar to his face? When she said, I did not lie, but the Lord said, oh, oh, I laugh rather, but the Lord said, oh, but you did laugh. Why did God not kill her? Her husband had a covenant with God. Why, oh hallelujah, why are we sitting here alive today? And many of you, you know you're a past, not since you was just sinners, but since you got saved. My, there ain't one of us here today that got anything to brag about when it comes to it because we've fallen short of the glory of God even after we got saved. And how can the mercy of God be extended to us? It's beyond human reasoning, but it's not beyond predestinated sea life. How is God made? extended his mercy to some of you when time and time again you broke his word. You willfully done things wrong and yet when you done it, something wouldn't let go of you. Whenever you thought you'd send away your day of grace, this is not in my notes but I'm gonna follow it as long as he wants me to. And what was it that got a hold to you when you felt like you would cross the line and reach the place where there was no more mercy for you? And you say, God's gonna kill me. God's gonna slay me. But the reason he couldn't was because your husband, Christ Jesus, has an everlasting covenant. And you have, hallelujah, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek that reaches down. Oh, you say, I'm not worthy. Of course you're not worthy. I'm not worthy. None of us were worthy. But our husband said, I will forfeit my life. I will forfeit everything I am. I will sow my seed in my bride. I will sow my seed in her. And Satan cannot have her. The denominations cannot take her. Death cannot get her. Hell cannot get her. I claim her as mine. Sickness cannot defeat her. She is mine. But you see what happens to man now. I hope you understand that he took her with the image of God in him. But after he did it, the image of God left him. Don't you understand, friends, what our Lord Jesus had to do? Hanging on the cross, not dying as an angel, not dying as righteous, but dying the death of a sinner. Oh, you think he humbled himself so much he'd become a sheep. You've not come down low enough yet. He didn't just become a sheep. He become a snake on the pole. When God spoke to Moses, he didn't tell him to create a cherubim 
and put it on a pole. Or a sheep and put it on a pole. But the form of a serpent. Hallelujah. With the image of God now gone, the man wouldn't even share in the blame. He wouldn't even say, well, really, don't blame her, don't blame her. He was willing to give up everything for her. But this is the only way he could do it. The image of God was in him. When the image of God left him, then he enters in. Now, he never felt it before. It must have been overwhelming to his being to feel this flood of selfishness. He had never felt it. He didn't know what it was. He didn't even know what it was. He didn't know what its reaction would be. But like from within him after the fall, instantaneous from the core of selfishness of a fallen soul, come out this thing to preserve himself and accuse her. The man said, the woman whom thou. Typical man. Got caught in sin, got caught doing wrong, but it wasn't his fault. It was your fault and your fault and your fault and your fault and definitely it was the devil's fault. I'm convinced a lot of the we blame on the devil ain't really the devil's fault. A lot of it's our fault. You say the devil made me do it. How's that even possible? He made you do what? You're a son or daughter of God filled with the Holy Ghost. Why the devil ain't got no power over you to make you do nothing. Well, come on, saints. Let's just be honest. It's us. It's our humanity. It's this old animal that we love so much. So after the fall, now we know that the principles of God are divine and they are eternal. And you know, when you look at them, though it may be thousands of years before they're ever caught and put down in book form or written down where man can catch it, but yet when you look at it, this was written, this was imprinted in Adam's life before the fall. But after the fall, he could not keep this principle. Now listen, I'm gonna read this to you from How Can Overcome. Just remember you're living for God and you have one objective. And that's to become a millionaire. And that's to make sure everybody in the church knows how much you're worth. And to make sure that you look down everybody at the church down your nose at everybody. Well, the thing ain't in there, why do we do it? Notice this, he said that's Jesus Christ. Outside of that, there's nothing else counts. That's him. Then secondly, for your family. Then thirdly, for yourself. But first for God, next for your family, and next for you. You're number three. And that's the end of the road. I guess we can all stand and go home. I've done killed it, ain't I? You're number three. Now, some of y'all have no problem agreeing to that because you are one, two, and three. Right? So, they don't have no problem of being three. Say, so, yeah, I agree with that. I'm number three, but I'm also number one, and I'm number two because I am everything. I am the center of my universe. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Brother Dow. At least Brother Dow saying, oh, Lord. So... <laughs> Notice then he said, 
first God, then next for your family, and next for you. You're number three. That's the end of the road. Put yourself last. Now, what you notice, this is not something God is going to do. Put yourself last. And this is why he did. I wonder how many of you husbands and wives had arguments this week. Please don't raise no hands. I wouldn't want all these people on the internet to see embarrass me as a pastor. But why did the argument keep going and going in your home? Because both of you wouldn't submit to what's really right. And just try to work it out and come to an agreeable difference sometimes. That you just agree, that you disagree. But what's so important for many is that they get the last word. And their mind runs 95 miles an hour trying to think of a scorcher. I'm going to get him, boy. I've got one now. I'll burn him up. And you think that's the Holy Ghost. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us, Father. Notice this again in the unity of the one God. It just seemed like that man can't learn. Only through the hard way. We found that even in our children, we have to punish them many times, severely, to make them understand. It just seemed like that, that a man is just in himself a total failure to begin with. When he lost his relationship with God, he become a unit of his own. And it didn't depend on God no more. And when God had taught him the lesson of what he was trying to do, something within himself, that his works would all come to naught, immediately we find them again going right down to achieve it again. Now he's talking about the Tower of Babel whenever they come together. And you're talking about the end of destruction. And what did God do? God wiped the whole thing off. And did man learn a great lesson from that? Nope. But he decided next time he would build a Tower of Babel. Make it so tall that if God ever sends another flood, they can all run up in that tower and they'll live like the devil and do whatever they want to do. God, if you want to send a flood, go ahead and send one. We've got a tower we can run up into. What was it? One of the first signs of a man-made denomination. Well, that man built something himself that would reach to the heaven and then they could come back down to the earth and live like the devil and then if trouble comes, they'll run up next to this heavenly place that they built. But God said, I'm sending water this time, but the next time it'll be fire. Oh, so you can't run from that, can you? But it's not, man cannot learn. It's just like he cannot get it over to man, and this is why man must be regenerated. Notice this again. He said, if you hold selfishness and pride and malice and all these things in your heart, he can't be Lord. Now listen, friend, this is a profound, absolute profound thing to look at. And this is where many of the Christians of the world that we're living in today, when still many, many millions of them around the world claim to be Christians, and I'm not saying they're not, but what I am saying is Jesus is not Lord of their life. Listen to this. He can't be Lord though you accept him in. He can't be Lord. This comes back to what we're talking about, about discipleship. If you are my disciples. So many have accepted him as Savior. 
They've accepted that portion of the work of God in their life, and they have a profession. I'm a Christian. I love God. I go to church occasionally. I try to help the poor, and I, I buy some cold, and, and I'll be giving out a few gifts around Christmas time, and I, I try to do all that. Yeah, they listen to whatever music they want. They fill their mind with so much trash and nonsense of the world. They look like the world, act like the world, feed on the world, and yet the Lord Jesus is not Lord of their life. So, I mean, they don't even think about him in that way. They do not relate to him. Why? Because they're going to a church that has a pastor that is not Lord of his life either. So if you're living setting under that kind of a ministry, then how in the world are you going to live any higher than your pastor does? So, but if you've got a man in the pulpit that's living the word of God and Jesus is the Lord of his life, then he not only by word, but by example can tell you this is what he wants you to be. Why? Because this is what the son of God, the humanity of God displayed on the earth when he come. I can do nothing except my father shows me. The son can do nothing in himself. The son cannot do this. He said, well, when are you going to come, Lord? He said, I don't know. Even the son don't know when he's coming back. Now, that's whenever he was here in his humanity. Why? He was showing us the perfect life of a human being that is surrendered to the power of God. And yet he had his temptations. He had sickness. He had trouble. Why? Because he allowed himself to have this same kind of body that you and I do. So it don't mean because God lives in you that you're exempt from trouble. But it means that you can overcome it. What's this? When he's Lord, he's Lord over all. That's what he's knocking for. Now this is the title of his sermon. That Jesus is knocking on the door. So he wants in. And preachers will stand up and make the great pull. Oh, Jesus came to die for you so that you could be safe from sin. He don't want you to go to hell. He don't want you to be lost. And all of that is true. But they never go on with him being Lord over your music. Lord over where you go. Lord over what you do. Lord of your life. Lord, Lord. Brother Branham knocks, oh Lord, let him in. I want to come in and sup. What supping is, is fellowship. When you got fellowship one with another, and listen what God wants to be with you, Brother Mac. The Lord and you are buddies. The Lord and you are buddies. The buddy's a pretty common term in East Tennessee. A lot of folks call me buddy. That ain't my buddies. You know how it is you go through the drive-thru? What can I help you with, darling? Thank you, honey. Thank you, sweetheart. My wife sitting over there looking at me and said, she ain't your sweetheart. But what is it? It's just a term. Is it real? Nope. A lot of people say, well, buddy, buddy, I don't want it to be a term. I want it to be such a reality that me and the Lord Jesus are buddies. 
Praise God. I mean, no, that's what I'm talking about. Now, many of you have acquaintances, but yet in reality, you wouldn't call this man or your sisters, you know, you wouldn't call them a real close, intimate friend to say that they're your buddies. I'm not sure you sisters use that term, or you my buddy's sister, but anyway, us brothers do. So you say, well, you know, brother so-and-so, I really like him, and I go to church with him, but I really don't know him. I wouldn't say that he's a buddy. What about Jesus? You go to church with him. You invoke his name over your food. You invoke his name when you're sick. But can you say about Jesus, me and Jesus are just like that. Me and Jesus are so close that we are buddies. Brother Donnie, how in the world could I ever be that way? I don't have a great personality. I don't have, that's not what keeps Jesus away from you, being intimate. But for many of us, the Lord Jesus cannot stand, think of it, he cannot stand the attribute of selfishness. You see, we look at it as, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It is that big of a deal. Because he himself come to the earth to reverse what Adam put in us, the man of Genesis 3. Come to reverse what the man of Genesis 2 put in all of us. Self-centeredness. How many people have you read about in the last couple of years that have been standing up on a cliff or standing up here, there, there, wherever, taking a picture of themselves and fall off and kill themselves? Right? How many beautiful places and people just can't stand it? They have to take selfies. Selfie was the most used word. Two years ago, I found a thought, oh, it was absolutely overwhelming. One of the newest words that was used in the English language was selfie. I thought that's very fitting for this age. Why? Because it is in all of us. Our government promotes it. Oh my, many preachers promote it. How you can be this and you can be that and you can be something else. It's not what you can become. It's what you can die to that he can become in you. Don't you say many of these preachers are guilty of building a tower of Babel in the hearts of their people? And they live lives as is not even worthy of the gospel, but psychologically they learn how to take the word and they can make a portion of the word live because the prophet told us the right mental attitude toward any promise of God will bring it to pass. And the right mental attitude toward finances and blessings and this and this. And you know as well as I do, there's some people that are so blessed and it's like they broke into that principle. It don't mean they're closer to God than you are. As a matter of fact, some of them's crooks and liars. Which would it rather be said about you? You were financially blessed or you and Jesus were buds? Watch how selfishness can run. Brother Bam said, when you see men who's run someone else down, when the man is proving he's doing a good work, then there's a selfish motive behind it. It's either money for money or fame or something. Isn't that amazing? So then we can have people 
that because of selfishness will run down other people that are doing a good work. God wants us to work everyone hand in hand to try to make life's journey a little more pleasant as we're journeying through. Wow, this is so deep this morning. This is so far over your all's heads. Some of you ain't getting it. You're waiting for great big old long words and you're waiting for me. When's he gonna get deep? I am so deep right now. Only the smallest portion of humanity will ever attain to what I'm preaching. But I will. What about the rest of you? I will, by God's grace. And then there's another little door. It's called the door to selfishness. Oh, how we like to guard that little door with a padlock. I'll go down if there's anything in it from me. Oh, my. Or if it's for me and my church. I find it so amazing that people will actually leave a church where the word's being preached, services anointed by the Spirit of God, and go to a church as dead as a hammer. I mean dead as a hammer. Because they get a position at that dead church. David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I'll tell you one thing, if I ever get old and feeble and can't preach no more in Happy Valley, and that's only a matter of a few days sometimes, it feels like. (laughs) Or I hope y'all will still let me come. I may not have enough sense about me to be the janitor, but could I pick up paper on the outside? Could I, could I be able to be like one of them greeters at Walmart, just stand back there at the door and be a, a Happy Valley Church greeter? I, I'd rather be a doorkeeper just to open and shut the door in the house of my God. But what is it when selfishness enters in? And people even think they're called of God to do this or that or the other. If they're not careful, selfishness will enter in and they think with all of their heart, oh, I I could do more if I was over here, I could do more if I was over there. Well, in reality, it may not be so much more recognition that you need, but humility. Ooh. Sweet Jesus. Now listen, it's your master. He wasn't born in a fine decorated hospital room with pink dressings hanging down. He was born in a stinking manger. How could they ever go hear a man like that? Can you imagine Jesus giving his life story? Well, I'd like to greet you all here today. I've come to give my life story. My mother wasn't married whenever I was conceived. My stepfather here uh, just gave her his name. Uh, I'm from Nazareth. I started laying out all of his life story. I wonder how many of us would still be left sitting in the congregation. Uh, They call me a Samaritan. And they say I'm Beelzebub. Or would that have stumbled you? (laughs) The real believers, it didn't stumble them at all. Why? They saw God in humility. You see what pride and selfishness does? 
Lord, have mercy, children. It shuts you out of the kingdom of God. Is there there anything in any of us here today that would not welcome the rankest sinner? If some man comes through them doors back there as drunk as a dog, and his breath nearly knocks me down when I pray for him, and I've prayed for something like that right here at this altar. So drunk, I couldn't hardly even smell the breath. I'd have to turn my face to get a breath of air. But I hope I never get so goody-goody that I can't lay my hand on the head of a drunk or a prostitute or a drug addict or a liar or a backslidden message person. Hallelujah! I pray that God will set them free! You see what pride and selfishness does? Shuts you out of the kingdom of God. You see, even people in the ministry can get like this. Moses up on the mountain and when he comes down with the law of God in his hands and he gets so angry and so upset. He casts the tablets down and breaks them. What happens to this intercessory spirit of Christ that before he had stood on their behalf, but now he loses it. Remember Brother Randleman standing in the gap whenever he's going through that cycle himself of his deep complexes. And I know message folks don't like to hear this about Brother Branham. That's because they're deity worshipers. A real message believer has no problem with Brother Branham saying he's wrong. A real message believer don't have to hide them quotes. A message believer knows he was a man that was born lost, needed the Holy Ghost, needed to ask God to forgive him, needed to repent when the Holy Ghost called him a liar and a hypocrite. Deity people around the message can't go that far, but I can because I ain't a deity person. Remember when the Lord spoke to him and said, you have done what Moses done. You forgot what I called you to do. I let the sick lay and I still feel in my heart they should have received my message. Remember Brother Roy Borders, your dream? Went out and then come back sitting at the head of the table but I cannot go out there feeling the way I feel. You imagine him coming to the end of that table and asking the people, will you all pray for me that God will give me that love back I lost during this complex. I admire a man like that myself. I can follow a man like that. I cannot follow the William Branham that some of the message people have made up. You know why? It's a prophet of their imagination. It's a William Branham that never lived. It's a William Branham that never existed by the West. But I can follow William Branham that needed to be saved and needed to get the Holy Ghost and had enough man about him to ask the very people who'd caused the complex to pray for him that God would help him to regain his love. Remember God giving him the dream, standing out there on the garbage dump with his brother-in-law Fletch, 
And he said, think of it. At one time, I led the bride of Jesus Christ. God knew it, that wasn't going to happen, but God had to scare him. Why didn't God just speak to him? Why didn't God just give him a scripture? Why didn't God just give him a quote? You see how us human beings can be? What was Brother Branham? The man of Genesis 1 embodied in a man of Genesis 2. Go ahead and say amen and look at yourself. When you get out in your rear view mirror and look at yourself and say, I'm one plus two, but three made the difference in me. Uh, Oh, glory to God. That was a good one. Praise God. I am one plus two, but three made the difference in me. Why am I different than what I was? Because the man in Genesis 3 changed me. Oh. My, Brother Branham, imagine and knowing that some people hearing that, that never think the same about him. It shows you didn't know who he was in the first place. There was only one perfect human life, and that was Jesus Christ. Oh, children. Listen to this that day on Calvary. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm not sorry either. I'm not even going in the direction that I thought I was going to go this morning, but that's all right. I was going to apologize, but I'm not going to apologize because this is the direction he wanted me to go. So there it is. It's yours. Listen, this Jesus never lived for himself. Lord have mercy. His life was spent Spent, now this is a common term to us in our English language. Spent. A lot of you is doing a lot of it right now, Christmas season. You're spending. Some of you spending money you ain't got. So look at the word that the prophet chose to use. He spent his life. So when you spend something, you give it to purchase Something else. So whoever bought this Gatorade, thought it was me in mind? Brother West, Brother Darrell, whoever the minister, brother, stand up here preaching. So they spent the money or put it on the church credit card, however it was they bought it. And the Lord Jesus spent his life. He didn't save it. You see, a lot of us hoard our time, hoard our this, and hoard our that. For who? Us. But this is eternal life right here. This is the epitome. Jesus never lived for himself. His life was spent for others. That's perfectly eternal life. When you say you go to church and you do good things, that's fine. But then you live your life to yourself. You understand? You see what Satan has tried to do during all this thing of COVID? To make people pull off from the body. Our church has suffered because of it. Churches around the world have suffered because of it. Our youth have suffered because of it. Not being able to meet, not being able to get together. 
But you see what some people do? They just keep recognizing, I I need to be there. I need to get together. I need to, but others, alas, it turns them because of their makeup and the selfishness within them. And they think, well, I've proven during the time of COVID, I really don't even have to go to church. I really don't need fellowship. I don't need nobody else. But you see, if you have eternal life, you're not just coming to church for yourself. You're coming to church to help me preach better. You're coming to church to pull on the gift in my life. Believe me, friends, if I knew how to pull on my gift, I would have pulled on it decades ago. Because I've been in some hard meetings before and the people just sat there and look at you like you're a Martian. So if I knew how to pull on my own gift, I'd have pulled on it myself. But God never made it so that I could pull on it, but he made it that people must pull on it. And God has made it to where we need one another. Oh, Brother Donnie, COVID has proved I don't need nobody. Well, I find that strange. COVID proved to me I need you all more than I ever needed you before. Hallelujah. I need my brothers and sisters around the world. Chaos is breaking loose all around us. Darkness is coming in all the time. We need one another. Listen to this. Let me close. When you live your life to yourself, you haven't eternal life. When you live your life to yourself, you haven't eternal life. Don't you understand this whole thing? of trying to convince people to stay home. Play tapes only, don't need preachers no more. Don't you see that focus is not on the body? That is a very selfish, self-centered thing that's trying to project the people instead of bringing the people together to tell them, you don't need one another. You don't need to come together. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to. Wow, what do we care about that Bible? Everything, that's what. eternal life is living for us. Oh, Brother Donnie, I'm going to get eternal life on the other side. Well, I hope you don't because if you do, that means you're a foolish virgin. The bride has eternal life now. And eternal life lives out of her. And she feels for others and she wants to help others. You know what I'm saying? You ever have a, have a brother or sister and, and something comes between you and you have a disagreement and you know, you think, oh, it ain't right between my brother and my sister and you just kind of back off from them a little bit and then you hear something terrible happens to them and you don't say, oh, hallelujah, glory to God. I knew God was gonna get them because they didn't treat me right. If you're a Christian, that breaks your heart. Oh, I heard they was in a car wreck. I heard they got a bad doctor's report. What is that? 
It's eternal life crying out of your obese body when your old flesh would say, well, they're getting what they deserve, but eternal life says you broke bread together at communion table with them. They have prayed for you. You're going to the same heaven. You belong to the same Father. Oh, my. Let me close with this quote. You're listening. This is beautiful. It proved it when he come and the Lamb of God. He lived and had eternal life because he did not live for himself. If you can imagine it in your mind, Jesus Christ was the most self-sacrificing, self-denying individual that has ever been on the earth after the fall of Adam. Now, did he feed himself? Yes. He even called his disciples and then said, come apart and let us, let us rest for a while. And the Lord Jesus had to have rest. But that was not being selfish. It was in order to keep his humanity going. But yet, all of his life, this was the expression of eternal life. Helping others. Living for others. Let's stand together. I'll finish this quote. He did not live for himself. He lived for others. And you receive eternal life by receiving that day. Remember the title of this sermon, if you haven't heard it, what's a great one? That day on Calvary. You receive eternal life by receiving that day. And you don't live for yourself no more. You live for others. Now, what you notice, he's not saying you help others. Some of you got it in your mind because you help others occasionally you've got eternal life. No, he's not saying that. That is not the message. You don't just help others. You live for others. <laughs> we can't do that. I can't do it. You can't do it. But I know a man who can. So with his life in me, in you, it helps me to live for others. Praise God. Well, I don't know if this sermon was for you all or some of them sorry sinners on that streaming out there. Are you sorry bunch? I kind of have an idea maybe it might have been for a few maybe you brother brown it's for you brother kid oh brother Lewis says for every one of us oh he's speaking for you all let me read one more quote before I let you go and Paul the prisoner skip on down a couple there brother Jerry oh tonight if we as the Branham Tabernacle could only become prisoners to our own selfish being, to our own ambition, that we could completely surrender ourselves and be yoked to Him. No matter what the rest of the world thinks, what the rest of the world does, we're yoked with fetters of love. We are prisoners. We are prisoners. You see, this, this, this is so for a preacher. A preacher's in a strange situation because if he's really called of God, he's gifted. 
It's like God gives him a perimeter, a boundary, by which he can operate in that gift. God don't pre-program the man and just put the software in there that he'll never make a mistake or he'll never do wrong or he'll never move beyond the measure of grace by which he's supposed to operate in. He can take that gift and move over into a questionable area where that when he crosses over that invisible line, all of a sudden he becomes a partaker of God's own personal glory. Then people go to talking about him and lifting him up and doing all this and that and the other. And he knows it and he enjoys it. That's not like that God has that line there. You better not cross, I'll send you to hell if you do. But it's like God leaves that measure of grace. And the man has to walk down through there and watch. Where's it at? Same way with the songwriter, a, a musician, a singer that's so blessed by God, so tremendously blessed by God. And they just bless countless of people. But then if they're not careful, they'll step over that line. Well, I wrote this and I sung that and I blessed the people and I done this. And... Every one of us are gifted in one way or another. God will put that perimeter around you and then he'll let you do what you see fit. But he'll let you know there's a dividing line there. You have now stepped over into my sphere. Friends, this is why, I know you got tired of hearing it, but this is why I'm going to fight this deity thing until I die, until the rapture. Because when we make Brother Branham God, make him infallible, we are taking away from our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you say you ain't going to change the world. I ain't interested in changing the world. But if I can change some of you, I'll be happy. Nobody owns that glory but our Lord. No preacher should be lifted up above. Paul said that we should not be thought above. Above a position that God's placed us. Sure, thank God for the men of God. Pray for them, love them. But know they're human just like you. Don't you love him? Don't you understand why many brothers, I know, I know some of you have wondered in the last few years, but the Daryl's been telling more about miracles and things happening in his ministry. Just let me let you in on something. You think this just started in the last couple of years? This has been going on for decades in Brother Daryl's life. But he just didn't want nobody to think he was trying to take glory away from the Lord. These miracles and manifestations that's going around in the message, you think they've just started in the last year or two? They've been around for decades. One of these days, the miracles that's happened right here in this church, you'll be astonished at the day of judgment, what our God has done. But there's such a fine line of a man testifying about it. But I personally think we need to let people know he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where is that line? We have to be careful. We have to watch it carefully. Is that right? Yes, but if we're not careful, Satan will push us to the other side and people will say, well, God ain't doing nothing no more. God ain't doing nothing and he's doing it all the time, but we're afraid to say anything about it. I don't think that pleases the Lord. Amen. Praise be to God. How many wants to be a part of this body of the Lord Jesus with all of your heart? Don't you want him to be not only your savior, but your Lord? Lord of your home, Lord of your music, Lord of what you read, Lord of where you go, Lord of what you do, Lord of everything.
Praise God. Heavenly Father, help me today, Jesus. I realize, Lord God, for each of us here today, it's a little different from one to the other. Yet, in general terms, we're all much more alike, I guess, than what we would want to acknowledge. There's always that vanity of humans, that selfishness, that self-centered thing. We can hear Brother Branham as he would say certain things, and apparently it, it either grieved you or grieved him or both in the way that he would say it, and he'd say, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said it that way. I thank you for those things, Lord. It was invisible. If he hadn't have said that, we would have never known that it bothered him or bothered you. So it was like an invisible line that was declared. Father, we want that too. Lord, help us each one. Maybe a mama will pray for her baby and you answer her prayer. Drove back the fever. Help her, Lord God, to be able to share that with others. And know somewhere there's a little invisible line there that she don't want to cross as if though it was just her prayer alone that did it. Us preachers, Lord, praying for people and seeing what you do, help us to know there's that invisible line there where we don't cross over and make it sound like we were something special and you heard our prayer alone. Oh, Jesus, we love you so much. Lord God, I've not had a fear of being lost for years and years and years. I believe I'm a son. I believe my name is on that book before the foundation of the world. But I must say, for decades of my life, I've had the fear that I might displease you some way. Or I might miss your will. Or I might jump ahead of you somehow. Or linger behind you. Help me, Lord. Help me. I'd say I'm not the only one here today. Would you help each of us, Lord? I'm sure many of them are convinced they have eternal life and their soul is sealed. But they're so afraid they'll miss you. Lord, some of them, you've done something for them and they they don't want to testify about it because they're afraid they'll, they'll have a relapse and it'll come back on them and then they'll bring a reproach on you. But help them, Lord, I pray. Each singer, each musician. Lord, I know of some great musicians in this message. And yet, Lord, they've held back the full potential of their talent because of the fear that flesh would get involved. I know it's a delicate place to walk, but help us, Father. If Satan can't stop us from being used, he'll try to push us on the other side that will take glory. But we believe there's a place we can walk in you. Lord God, if there's one here today or under the sound of my voice that does not have eternal life, may today be the day that that seed gene in their soul will be birthed by the breath of God. Maybe some love you and they believe you, but you're not totally Lord of their lives. Help them, Father. Maybe there's many here today or many that's heard this service and they felt that old thing under this COVID time trying to convince them they really don't need nobody. They really don't need church. They don't need this or that. I pray you spoke to their hearts today, Lord. 
May we realize, as Paul said it so many years ago, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together that much more as you see the day approaching. And your prophet quoted that scripture, and he said, as the manner of unbelievers is. We sure don't want to be identified as an unbeliever. We love you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. With no one looking around, please, I just feel this in my heart. Maybe the Lord has brought something to your heart today that he's not totally Lord over. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety, oppression, sadness. Maybe a secret sin, a besetting sin. And you know in your own heart, he's not totally Lord over every door of your life. Would you like to raise your hand today? You don't have to speak it out loud. Just raise your hand to God. God, you see. You know what it is. Just speak it to the Lord. Lord, I've got this fear. Lord, I've got this besetting sin. Lord, I've got this. I don't want you to just be the Savior. I want you to be the Lord. The prophet likened it to when a person got saved that the Lord opens their heart. And then Jesus steps inside their heart. Of course, you know, it's a type. It's metaphorical-like. And once he steps inside the heart, then there's all kinds of doors inside that human heart. And then once he gets in, you still hold the key to every one of those doors. And as you will allow, and I will allow, the Lord Jesus, he will go in and out of every one of those doors and become Lord. But if we only let him in, the initial entrance, that's as far as he'll go. Oh my, wouldn't, wouldn't we have a church here on this hill? If every believer would give Jesus the key to every door. Of your fear, your anxiety, your complexes, Praise God. Just take that key ring. Now remember, he won't overpower you. He won't be a bully. He done that to the devil, but he won't do that to you. He jerked them keys off the side of the devil. But he won't jerk the keys off of your side. He wants you to hand them to him. A full surrendered heart. So maybe it's that key of pornography. Or that key that you've been sneaking listening to rock and roll music or country music or reading books that you shouldn't read or whatever more. Why don't you reach over on your side, take that key, and hand it to Jesus. I'll tell you the reason some of you can't overcome these things. You're trying to do it by yourself or you're trying to get me or one of the brothers to pray for you. But every time I pray for you, I look on your side and that key is still there. I'll tell you when you'll be free is when you finally pull that key off of that ring and you put it in the hands of the Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Heavenly Father, not only here in the church today, but probably in people all over the states and different parts of the world, we have our heads bowed. We want you to be the Lord of all. Oh, Jesus, be the Lord of all. Be the Lord of all. The Lord of our music. 
the Lord of our entertainment, the Lord of our vacations, the Lord of the music we listen to, the Lord of what we think about, Lord of all, and definitely Lord over the top of our self-centeredness, our selfishness. Praise God. Oh, Jesus, be the Lord of all. Now, this one thing I love about him, friends. For many of us, he knew it would take years of our life before we would hand him each one of those keys. But he's so patient and so loving. He wants to deal with us and deal with us. And he'll get one from me today. Then he might get another one Wednesday. Then he might go a month and he'll get another one. But eventually, he wants to get all the keys to every gate because Jesus not only wanted to possess the gates of hell and the gates of sickness, he wanted to possess the gates in our hearts. And to be honest with you, hell was easier and quicker to overcome than I have been. He went down into hell and jerked them keys off the devil's side in a matter of moments. It was over. Oh, but look at me. Look at you. He's dealt with us for years and years. Praise God. Praise God. Just talk to him. Let's just worship him now. I can tell you to say it, but it really won't do no good until you from your heart say, Jesus, here's my keys. Here's my keys, Lord. The kingdoms of my heart. Jesus be the Lord of all, Jesus be the Lord of all, Jesus be the Lord of all, the kingdoms of my heart. Can we sing it together? Jesus be the Lord of all. We have a baptism this morning. If they'll come and prepare for that.
sister, sister Phoebe is going to have to go to Vanderbilt for some tests. The doctors have found some numbers that's troubling to them, and they want her to go there. Also, Brother Danny, they found something in his liver, and he's going to have an MRI this tomorrow. I may believe as we serve a miracle working God. Heavenly Father, we lay our hands today on our brother and sister. Lord Jesus, you see these needs, dear God. Father, you see these numbers, Lord, in Sister Phoebe's body from the test. And Lord, they want to send her to Vanderbilt. Lord God, we're bringing her before you today. Father, for Brother Danny, you see this in his liver. You know exactly what it is before the MRI ever does one scan on him. God, we're asking you today in the name of Jesus for our brother and sister. May the Spirit of God move for them, Lord. We surrender our faith to you. We lay aside our fear. All as a human, we can't keep from being concerned naturally when we hear such things. But Lord God, we give you the key to that gate. May our faith, our faith dominate over any human fear. Lord God, move for our brother and sister. May there be no evil that will come of this, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus, be the Lord of all the kingdoms of my heart. Jesus, I surrender all. Jesus, I
our life in our own hands oh you might accomplish this and that and the other but if you can give your lunch in the hands of Jesus you say but I ain't got that much I understand I ain't got much either a little boy didn't have much either it's just his lunch but if we can take our lunch and put it in the hands of Jesus Jesus can make it the lunch of who knows how many oh they're preparing let's just sing it again just make it a prayer. Would you just raise your hands whether you're standing or seated? If you need to be seated, that's fine. But not just a song, but I give myself, Lord. Look, friends, every, there's not hardly a week that goes by anymore. We don't hear of a sophomore in school, somebody taking a gun and killing people. How, how, how is this happening? They're surrendering their life into the hands of the devil. You imagine a sophomore in the Michigan school and now his mother and father in jail and, and uh, all, all these kids that have been dead and all these lives that have been forever changed because one sophomore. Don't you, don't you think that God, if God can get a hold of our young people, if a young person can do that for the devil, what can God do for some of our young men? Don't you appreciate our young people? Don't you appreciate them having a desire to serve God? Let's sing it together. Just close our eyes now. Mean it with all your heart. Young, old, middle-aged. I give myself away, Lord. I give myself to you. Sing it for us, Harry. Thank you, Jesus. With all of our hearts, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. If demon-possessed people can do such, Lord, take us, Jesus. Take us, Jesus. Hallelujah. Give myself, myself away so, so you can use me. Give myself Hallelujah. away. Yes, Lord.
Brother Caleb Lawson. His brother, Lord's been dealing with his heart for some time now. He, his grandmother was a huge influence on him growing up. She told him about the prophet. And he felt he felt a need for the Lord in his life. And he and his wife both started seeking the Lord. And his wife was having trouble with anxiety issues. And the closer the Lord got to her and the more she invited him into her heart, it just pushed it away. Testimony to what Brother Donnie was talking about today. My brother and I were talking outside in the foyer beforehand. And Brother Donnie, you may not know exactly why every time that the Lord turns you, but almost word for word, most of what we talked about out there, you, you brought out in this sermon, brother. The Lord really just vindicated so many things. Our Lord is, is so precious and loving towards us, and He just does so much to confirm our faith and strengthen it in us. And brother Caleb, you made the right decision, brother. To lead your family and to bring bring them to the Lord and present them as an offering to Him. And uh, they've got a little girl that you know they're concerned about her. They want to they want to have a godly home and raise her the right way. I just know that this is the right congregation for them to be accepted and loved and to be supported. So you all you all make sure and make your way to them and, and give them a lot of support. We also talked about the fact that there's a promise that comes along with them receiving the name of the Lord Jesus in baptism. And my brother and sister are set on receiving that promise. So you all pray together with us. Lord Jesus, we come to the water today for my brother and sister to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, what greater name is there? What name is there higher than the name of the Lord Jesus? There is none, Father. And for them to take that name on them, I ask that you give them that promise that is in the Word, Lord, of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and that you receive them into the family of God. Lord Jesus, they're believing. They've got all the signs of true believers, Lord. That seed that Brother Donnie was talking about, it just seems to be bursting forth from them. And Lord, I just ask that you bless their lives, you bless their home, you give them strength and help, Lord, along this journey. Father, thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Brother Caleb, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. believe it pleases the Lord and I know it pleases us as an assembly to, to see somebody take on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is in their life. And we're going to pray for this couple that God will keep them. Did you enjoy church today? You appreciate the word of the Lord? Thank God for the direction our pastor took today. I believe it will be beneficial to each and every one of us if we apply it. Let's sing it. Nobody Nobody loves me like Jesus. Let's sing it this morning, if you will. Morning, 
I see you in the sunrise every morning.